Well, uh, if anybody's ever seen like uh, one of those tennis ball machines that just fires them out to yes, that so yes. that the tennis person can practice their back. I think there's a basketball or, or thing that does that too. Oh, yeah, yeah. they've got one of those. Uh, I'm just going to be that machine today. Contradiction, <laughs> contradiction. Just throw them out, out. <laughs> and we're going to see if the salty pasture can, okay. you know, has a nice backhand or not, I guess. I'm excited. Everyone, start <laughs> right, today. See what we can do. It's going to get wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you must take. It is something that you have to do yourself. It is not something you can order out for. It's not something you can have delivered. It's not something you can stream to your mobile device or your brain yet. Just kidding. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet, but someone will probably tell you someday Amazon's that you can. Yeah, they're working on it. Yep. But instead, it is something that you have to do, and we will come alongside you to encourage you, to challenge you, to teach you to critically think for yourself but it is work that you have to do. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host. And on this wonderful day, I have both the original Salty Pastor <laughs> and the Diet Salty Pastor. <laughs> Not Diet Salt. Uh, diet Salt. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Do they He's not light. have artificial uh, artificial salt these days? We no, have artificial <laughs> sugar. That's not a thing. Okay. I just see. I felt like there were so many words I was ready for, and then you said and diet, I did none and I was of like, them. "What? What? How does that fit in there?" So we have Dr. Douglas Peak and his son Zach Peak, both yes. who have spent obviously a lot of time here on the podcast. But we are blessed to have all three of us on one desk in one day to hash out. Some very exciting things today. Sweet. We are in our series titled mm-hmm. "The Bible." Um, last week, or last week, we kicked it off, and this week we've been talking about all kinds of things as far as why it's controversial um, and why uh, what it claims as far as the words and the revelation of God, and it tells us that God is there and that He wants to be part of our lives, and that He had. There's a whole history of what mm-hmm. He's done in the world since mm-hmm. its creation. Um, and ultimately, the bridge is one of the ways we can communicate with him, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people out there who don't believe that this is true, that they mm-hmm. uh, assert that there are contradictions in the mm-hmm. Bible. And I think today we are going to be talking through some of those contradictions. And then obviously yeah. Sunday, Zach's going to be preaching and he's going to talk about those more. But mm-hmm. I want to get us kicked off with Zach, what did you bring to the table today for us to um, either revel at or argue with? Well, uh, if anybody's ever seen like uh, one of those tennis ball machines that just fires them out to yes. that so yes. that the tennis person can practice their back. I think there's a basketball thing that does that too. Oh yeah, yeah. they've got one of those. Uh, I'm just going to be that machine today. Contradiction, <laughs> yeah. contradiction. Just, just throw them out, them out. <laughs> and we're going to see if the salty pasture can, okay. you know, has a nice backhand or not, I guess. I'm excited. Everyone, start <laughs> right, today. see what we can do. going to get wild. Yeah. All right. So let's just let's just talk about a bunch of them. Uh, we're going to okay. start with some softballs to you because okay. uh, I read these and instantly I was like, oh, boy. Oh, wow. So uh, uh, we'll see what you think. Uh, first off, uh, this is from the American Atheists. If you just Google Bible contradictions, then the first result is a page by the American Atheist titled mm. Bible Contradictions. Man, so, they're wow. just feeding us content. Yeah, they're just, I mean, they're a big help. Shout out to them today. Uh, their, first, uh, their first contradiction, uh, the Sabbath day. In yeah. Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. This is a law mm-hmm. given to the Israelites. Uh, and then in Romans 4, 5, 14, 5, mm-hmm. it says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded by his own mind. 
but God just said to keep the Sabbath day holy, and now Paul's like, oh, you can treat all days equal, and that's okay. That's a huge contradiction, Pastor. <laughs> well, not really, because that basically has three fallacies. The first fallacy is, yeah, there's three. The first fallacy is the uh, fallacy of presupposition, and that is, is that they're assuming all things considered that it's, it, that's it. That's you, you reduce it. It's a reductionist mm -hmm. argument. And so that fallacy basically doesn't take into account that this is a revelation that plays out over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And that like, like any story, there are changes in it. Mm -hmm. Right. So changes it, are not necessarily contradictions. Changes are not contradictions. And you know, in Mark chapter two, verse 28, it says that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And the whole point is that if you, if you want to find a, a contradiction in something, Thing, then you need to have intellectual honesty, in my opinion, and that is you need to at least say, well, what is a story? Mm -hmm. And I, I have sat down in, cause I've quoted the Quran before. Right. And so I sat down and I read the Quran mm -hmm. and I went through it and I read a translation from the 14th century that is considered the most accurate English translation of the Quran. There's not a lot of translations of the Quran cause you're supposed to read it in Arabic, mm. right? You're not technically allowed to read it in any other language, okay. but this one does exist. And so I have that Quran, I read it and cause I'm like, well, I need to read it in context, you know, and I need to go the, the, there's 150 surahs and I need to read them. And what, what is it? And, and I have to understand it first because before yeah. you criticize something, you should say, I need to give it a fair hearing and understand what it's trying to say. And once I understand, then I need to decide whether mm -hmm. I agree with it. So that's the first fallacy is there's no attempt to even understand yeah. that this is a story being played out. The, the second, the second thing, is that it is a fallacy of definition. And that is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and then one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. And I, why are they quoting out of the King James Bible? I was going to ask that. I was like, why did they give us the <laughs> NIV version for Exodus, and then they went full King James? In the I know, Testament? isn't that kind of crazy? So, um, and... And so he says, let every man be fully persuaded. Okay, so what we have here is a fallacy of definition. And that is that, okay, he's saying, remember the Sabbath. And then he's saying here, one man esteemeth a day above another day. Okay, mm -hmm. you, haven't you haven't defined what days he's talking about. Because mm -hmm. so they pulled it out of context. They just yeah. ripped a verse out of the what Bible. What days is he talking about? And is it technically a Sabbath day or not a Sabbath day? Mm -hmm. And so you would need to define the terms. And then the second of all, you have to play, bring into the first fallacy in that, well, what's changed from when this was mm -hmm. written to when that one was written? So you, like you have a story about a guy, he grows up and he has heart trouble and then he becomes a vegan, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you can read when he was a teenager eating meat, right? Oh, I love a good steak. And then later on after his heart trouble, he becomes a vegan and he says, vegan's the only way to go. Oh, those are contradictions. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, no, they're not. There's a through <laughs> line. You're just so, not looking at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and that, and that's, that points also to the third fallacy, which is a logical, there's, um, there, there, the logical syllogism is false. In other words, if you have a false definitions, a mm -hmm. lack of clarity of definitions, and you have a lack of, of understanding about the presupposition on which your argument is built, then your logic is faulty as well. Mm -hmm. So that would be my initial thing. And that is, is that the entire Bible isn't about the Sabbath. It's about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the whole point about Jesus is that he's the Lord of the Sabbath mm -hmm. and we find our rest in him. There you go. What do you think? 
Is that uh, a good know, a, I, synopsis? I was going to add thoughts, but, but we spent five minutes on one. Sorry, I was so going to say, that's the softball, and Pastor Doug just <laughs> tore it up. I think the only thing I would add in is, ultimately, I think, and I, I think you've talked about this before, it's not necessarily the day that is important. It's the fact that we're taking rest and where we're finding the rest, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, there's people that celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. There's people that celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. There's some people that work at church. There's a lot of people in ministry that their official Sabbath, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is like a Monday yeah. because that's their day that they're actually taking to focus on God and rest, right? And mm-hmm. so it is no, it is not about anymore since the New Testament was written the fact that it's a specific day yeah. anymore, but it, in fact that you are taking time to rest and refocus on God, right? Yeah, because the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a criteria of the law for the Jewish people. It was right. a covenant, okay? Then in the New Testament, the covenant is Jesus. So he's the Lord of the there's Sabbath. New, there's, there's new rules, new game, you got no it. longer applies. Yeah, that's why they're, that's why Judaism and Christianity are different religions. <laughs> they, what? Oh, <laughs> no are they? Did you not know that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that one's fun. Uh, I'm going to skip... There's a lot of ones on this page. If anyone goes to the American Atheist Bible Contradiction page, there are quite a few that say the first verse is from the Old Testament and the second verse is from the New Testament. Yes. And all of and, those fallacies uh, would apply. I mean, way. maybe not every single one, but uh, pretty, pretty, pretty close. Pretty much, yeah, pretty close to every single one. So uh, I feel like we should not. Uh, well, th- that's kind of a, a category. And so we're going to move on to some other categories. For instance, one thing they, they do have here is they have uh, contradictions that are only in like the Old Testament. It's like, okay, because we just said that Jesus changed everything, which, you know, he, he kind of did. That's kind of the, the point of our faith. Right. Uh, but what about in the Old Testament contradictions that exist there? Uh, one example they have here is in trusting God. They have a part of a verse in Proverbs, not the whole thing, but a part that says, a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. That King James Version again, we ob- obtaineth. <laughs> uh and then there's a verse from Job, and basically, I don't, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the story of Job is that Job is considered a righteous man by God, and then the devil comes and says, well, Job's only righteous because you've given him things. If you take them away, then he won't, he won't be righteous anymore. And so God says, okay, you are allowed to take these things away. And so it's like, is that not a contradiction that Proverbs says that if you trust in God, you'll obtain his favor, but Job trusted in God, and Job had a pretty rough time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the problem with this, uh, man, they're going to really great lengths to try to come up. These with, are stretches. Yeah, these they are, are really, really stretches. You know, <laughs> it's it's like saying that Romeo and Juliet is a story about euthanasia. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what what are you talking about? You're just like, it's hard to argue with people who are just so idiotic. Yeah, you know, I'm like, get you know, throw something out there that well, is easy. on this one. We talk about the favor of the Lord, and we talk about the blessings of God. Yeah, are the blessings of God lots of money? Are the blessings of God yeah. driving a nice car? I mean, are these the things that if you trust in God, He's just going to give them to you? Right. Yeah. Like, no. Like, it, you know, what yeah. was a blessing in the early church? To be martyred. Yeah. <laughs> they, could, they literally considered it. Early Christians for the first, I don't know, what, 200 yeah. years yeah. Of, the, of the faith after Jesus ascended, they literally saw it as a blessing and an yeah. honor to be martyred like a, for their faith. Yeah. Like in Acts 3 and 4, it's like they were, uh, Peter and the apostles were yeah. beaten. Whipped, right? I think. They were they? whipped yeah. and beaten by the Sanhedrin, and it says they praised God that they could suffer like Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so, so it's that favor of the Lord. Yeah. It's, it's one again, of those it's a definition. Yeah, right? It's a fallacy yeah. of you don't clearly make mm. any 
you don't define the terms and yeah. then you're trying to say, you know, you're conflating. That's what, yeah. and that's what people who do have no intellectual honesty do is they conflate. Well, and, and you know what the best part about this is, mm. you know, Job trusted God and he had a pretty rough time. Have you read the end of Job? Have you read the end of Job? <laughs> because, Obviously reading. <laughs> because at the end it says he was given double of everything he had before. So yeah. I feel like that's a little bit, he did trust in God. And then he did obtain God's favor. So your own story disproves your argument. Yeah. Let me see if I can find find some better ones. There's a lot of, again, there's a lot of silliness in here because a lot of these take just a basic understanding of, of uh, Christianity. There was a good one that contrasted Ezekiel with Exodus. And mm. I don't have the verse right in front of me right now. But, oh, here it is. Uh, in Ezekiel 18.20, it says, The son shall bear the iniquity of the father. And there are, I don't remember if it's an Exodus or a different uh, book in the Pentateuch that has God, he says, if someone is, if, if there is an evil man or an evil, evil parents or whatever, the, the curse of them should be, will be on them for three or four generations. But if someone is good, they will be blessed for thousands of generations. Yes. I, did, did, do you recall which verse that is, Salty Pastor? Well, in Ezekiel 18.20, it specific, specifically says this. It says, you know, this is another problem. They say, oh, this is a contradiction, but you don't even quote the whole verse which or the whole sentence. You know, usually have to say, because what if it says... That? You can just take and splice. Yeah, you? take and splice, you, you know. <laughs> the person who sins will die. A son will not suffer the punishment for the father's guilt, nor will a father suffer the punishment for the son's guilt. Mm -hmm. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. And so what, what they did is that is just a basic um uh a misrepresentation because what he's saying is that here uh the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father he's saying oh well what he's talking about is the judgment of righteousness mm -hmm. falls upon the person who committed the sin okay but, okay but so he's clarifying the case, that then what does it mean in exodus 20 verse 5 when it says I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children into the third and fourth generation. Well, I, I think it's very specific in its understanding. I mean, most scholars have looked at this over and over and come with the same point is that is that it's another frame of reference fallacy. Mm -hmm. And that is, well, if your frame of reference is that God treats every human being like a pawn and you have no free will. Oh, isn't that the atheist position, by the way? Um, <laughs> that you have no choice in the matter, right? And that you're not responsible for your sins. Mm -hmm. Then you look at it from the standpoint, oh, well, what God's saying is that he's going to punish you and then he's going to punish your kids and your kids mm -hmm. and your kids and your kids and your kids, right? Because that's your frame of reference because right. that's, that's what God does. If you read that at a, at a glance, that's what it seems to say. Seems to say. But if you go, if you read in the entire book of uh, Exodus and you look at what God is doing, what is the entire book of Exodus about? Saving the law. people from... Oh, the Exodus. Them the Exodus. Them Egypt. It's yeah. in the name. It's in the name. That was a softball. Man, I stumped the guys. On. Wow. Okay, and what was the Exodus all about? What was God doing for the Israelite people? Freeing he was, them from Egypt. He was saving them. Mm -hmm. He was freeing them, right? But he said in order to be saved, you have to choose to do what? Follow me. You're mm -hmm. going to have to choose to follow Moses. And where did mm -hmm. Moses lead them? Mm-hmm. 
out the, into the desert, right? Yeah. It's, and what did they complain about when they got out there? Food. Yeah. Heat, you let us out here to die. Everything. We want to go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. So the whole book, you have to read the whole book and say, well, what's the point of the story? What's the mm-hmm. point of the book? And what he's talking, and what that does is that gives you the frame of reference mm-hmm. that God's heart is that he is not a person that is using them as pawn. He doesn't take away their free will. So with that in mind, right? If you are a person who chooses to reject wisdom and you do something sinful, right? And you live a sinful lifestyle, you reject wisdom. Mm -hmm. Does that impact your children? Yes. Does it impact your children's children? Probably. Do you remember just a few weeks ago on the Salty Pastor, I brought up the illustration of John Edward or Jonathan Edwards, children and offspring. And then the other guy who was a criminal. Yeah. Right. And you look at that and you go, wow. Yeah. Wow. See, so what happens is the iniquity, and mm-hmm. this is this is really important, is people don't understand what iniquity is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Iniquity is different than sin. Okay. And not not in its content, right? Because iniquity and sin are mm-hmm. the same thing, but in their uh what would you call it? Your positional judgment. Mm-hmm. So sin is something that you commit, right? And I've committed a sin. I've missed the mark. Iniquity is because of all these sins in your life, mm-hmm. you are positionally in this place. It's like your, that's like your, uh, your circumstances. Your circumstances, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're in iniquity. Mm-hmm. You're stuck. So case in point, I, you decide to go out and get drunk, right? Mm-hmm. And that happens. Oh, that's a sin. Okay, what happens the next night? You, you decide, I'm going to go out and get drunk. And then I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. And after about a year of getting drunk every night, what do you become? Uh, an alcoholic. alcoholic. <laughs> okay. Like, so are we looking for another softball here? Or are we looking for something different? <laughs> you become... And so yeah. alcoholism is iniquity. Mm-hmm. You see, addictions are iniquities. Uh, anger problems or iniquities, mm-hmm. unforgiveness, bitterness, yeah. malice, hatred, are in it, that's iniquity. And that affects your kids. And that, and that will affect your kids mm-hmm. and it'll affect your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids mm-hmm. up into the seventh generation. So if a parent decides mm-hmm. to live in iniquity, the impact of that lifestyle will, will it takes seven generations before it can be mm-hmm. completely removed from the family influence. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we've kind of tackled now one that was like difference between Old and New Testament, which is just very much a lack of understanding of kind of the Christian faith (laughs) in general. So that was one of the contradictions and that that a lot of the contradictions you'll see out there are really just a lack of understanding about what Jesus has done and the difference between Old and New Testament. We just did one that's a little bit about the the theology in the Old Testament. I want to try to get through two more, Uh, one of which will be in the Gospels. Uh, mm-hmm. about the differences in the story. And if we have time, I want to do a second one in the theology about the New Testament. So let's attack the gospel one first. Uh, I, let me find the exact verses. In Matthew 28, 8, it says, The women hurried away from the tomb, mm-hmm. afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Uh, but in Mark 16, 8, it says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like that's those are the Gospels, which are supposed to be at least kind of historical about Jesus. And they're saying kind of opposite things about the story, aren't they? What was the second reference again? Mark what? Mark 16, 8. 16. Okay, let me get up here. I want to be, well, I think here's here is something that has gone on for quite some time in that a lot of people uh, have said that the whole resurrection account is 
suspect. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of criticism around that. And you have a lot of these CSI type people on the internet who come mm-hmm. in and they say, Oh, well this says they fled. And then the first one is they said, mm-hmm. and so they, they, what they do is they go in and they point out, uh, uh, these perspective these differences, witness account differences, these mm-hmm. witness account yeah. differences. And they try to say that proves that it's all false. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what's really interesting is now we could go through these line by line if you like, but what's interesting is today at Harvard law, they have a book that they use that was written by a Harvard law professor about, a, I don't know, 75 years ago, I guess if I add it up, but he basically said the nature of evidence in a court of law. So he wrote a book, what evidence is allowed, what evidence isn't, what's relative, what mm-hmm. isn't relevant, you know. They or, use that as a, basically a definition of what evidence can or can't be. Can't be, yeah. yeah. And th- this is the definitive work, okay. It also is, he happened to be a Christian. And you know what he did? He said, I will pay anybody $50,000 if they can prove that this account of the resurrection is false in a court of law. Mm-hmm. To this day, no one's been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so that just gives you an overview of what's going on here. And basically the reason why is because if you're really going to evaluate this, then you have to evaluate it on the basis of eyewitness testimony. And what happens is, is that you have a car wreck, okay, in an intersection. You have somebody standing on the north corner, the south corner, the east corner, and the west corner, okay? They're all going to describe the event from a different perspective and you, a defense lawyer is going to come in and try to say, Hey, guess what? Your guys are wrong. It, you know, because you're saying this happened and you're saying that happened. Cause one person say, well, I saw this car coming from the East and somebody else say, well, I saw this car coming from the West. Aha. That's a contradiction. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. But really all you're saying is that from their perspectives and then it, they're, they're explaining it from different angles. Okay. But what mm-hmm. happened in the intersection? There was a car wreck. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, so you have to approach it from that perspective. The other thing too is, is it's an issue of time frame, And that is, is that, okay. Maybe they did run away and didn't tell anybody, but then they eventually went and told somebody or. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, and how that all plays out. So these are easily explainable differences because mm-hmm. it's not just their perspective. We have one from Peter and then we ended up having ultimately about the resurrection over 500 different witnesses mm-hmm. that have seen it. So that would be the response to that right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great example of the gospels are told as stories. They're like a biograph, biographical, biographical thing. Sketch, but, yeah. but back then a biography was not, you know, what a bio- biography is today. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they focused on the stories and the narratives, which doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means they were focusing on certain parts of the story. Yeah. And those statements don't necessarily disagree with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they ran away. They didn't say anything to anybody. Well, for how long? Because they said it to people eventually, right? Yeah. It's not saying, it's not making them claim that they said nothing to anyone forever. Correct. So obviously they said it sometime. So were they just not telling people on the way back? Did they wait to tell the disciples? I don't know. You know, did they all, did they run to the other side of Jerusalem and have lunch and then decide to come back <laughs> or did yeah. they just, you know, their ladies, did mm-hmm. they run down around the corner? Right. And did they stop there? And then they were like, oh my goodness, what's going yeah. on? And then immediately we, we, go we back. No, it doesn't. We, we don't know. It's incredibly linear, exact yeah. technical account of what happened. It's a story about what happened and a story about what happened. That doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that this was a different perspective or they're describing things differently. 
And, uh, and that's what and scholars have known this for thousands of yeah. years. Scholars yeah. have known this forever. Well, and, and, and what I was going to say is there's a, there's a great website called BibleHub.com. Mm-hmm. It's not like the first one that pops up if you are like looking for just a Bible verse. But what I like about BibleHub.com is you can go to a verse and they have a little thing and kind of like they have a banner at the top of the page. And if you go down a couple levels on that banner, there's a thing that says comment. And if you hit that button, it gives you commentary. From a lot of different guys that are, some of them are hundreds of years old, some of them are newer, but all these guys who have done expositions of the Old Testament or the original language and talk about these definitions. And guess what? People have been thinking about these things for a long time. Yes. You know, you can find a, a commentary that was written in the 1640s. Mm-hmm. So you go back and you're like, okay, so they were thinking about why do the women, why do these, why does Mark and Matthew say different things about what the women did? You know, and these were, this was almost 400 years ago. And they're like, well, here's, here's our take on it. Here's why we think. Because smart people have been Christians for a long time. A long, long time, And they yeah. have the same questions. But instead of taking those questions and saying immediately, oh, this is a contradiction, they say, hmm, this is interesting. Let's look into it. Why is it this way? And it's not very rational. It's not very scientific to approach something from that. The, the first point of studying any of this stuff is, well, what are they saying and what did they mean? Mm-hmm. And if I'm an intellectually honest person, I'm going to say, well, I want to figure out what it is. And then once I know, then I can decide whether I agree with it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's that idea of wrestling with your faith, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not a, God does not call us to just blindly follow, but instead he's like, you need to work through this and you have to be sure this is what you want. And all of the most devout Christians are people that have actually gone through the process of wrestling it. They've critically thought, uh, Thunk, thunk. He's a thunkin'. thought through all of these ideas and gone, yes. okay, can I accept this? What does this mean? Does this bother me enough that I need to go research it to p- figure it out? And they're not just going, nope, I'm just going to say whoever. The shallow Christians do that. They go, mm-hmm. I'm just going to blindly believe whatever the pastor up on there tells in the cool shoes tells yes. me they do, right? Mm-hmm. But, in, but the people who are really devout and who really have a relationship with God and who have really worked through it are the ones that have gone through and done the research and gone, Hey, this is an argument. I'm going to figure it out. And so mm-hmm. that I know what I believe and why, why I believe, believe it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think what's great about your point is this, is that a strong faith encompasses the totality of human experience. Yeah. So your faith has to have an emotional response to it, right? Mm-hmm. It has, it has to be emotionally engaged at yeah. times. You know, I, I think of a lot of times throughout my journey with the Lord where he's moved me to really powerful, overwhelming emotions, you know, mm. but also my brain, <laughs> my brain has to be fully engaged in the process. And not just that, sometimes it's just basic will. And that is discipline. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just disciplining myself to do things uh, is important. And so, you, you know, it's mind, will, emotions. It's all of these things that really are on the surface of my soul and feed my soul. So it's a totality of the experience. You can't just ignore when you got to engage the whole person. And that's what we try to do on the Salty Pastors. We want yeah. your whole person engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one more I want to go over. It looks like we have a few minutes left. Uh, I want to talk about a theology one that is in the New Testament. Because we did like a theology one from the Old Testament with Ezekiel, Ezekiel mm-hmm. and Exodus. This one is Romans and in uh, First John. It is a little bit of a softball beware. <laughs> um, in Romans 3.23, what does that one say? Anyone know that one? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means we've all sinned, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in John, it says, no one who is born of God sins. But he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. But, 
I would just, we've all sinned and we don't sin. How does that make sense, Pastor? Is that First John or Second? <laughs> first John. First John, uh, chapter five. We also see uh, that kind of argument made by John in First John chapter three, <laughs> verses like six and nine. Mm-hmm. I can take this one for you if you'd like. Well, you go first as I'm uh, pulling it up real quick. Another example of taking the verse out of context because I forget which exact which exact section this is. But if you yeah. go to First John chapter three or First John chapter five and read them, you will see that John says, you know, no one who has been born of God sins no one does but if you do Mm -hmm. (laughs) so in his own statement yeah no one who has been born of god says he says but if you do so it's obviously like he's not thinking that nobody born of god says because he has um, the next the very next statement is but if and it's more of a win right right you know but if this happens when this happens go to jesus because he advocates for you is what he says and so i think what we're seeing here and some of this when you see these contradictions is really a lack of understanding of what it means to know jesus Mm -hmm. because what it means to know jesus is yes we're born of god but as paul talks about and it's not gnosticism he's not saying all physical things are evil but he talks about the difference between the spirit and the flesh Mm -hmm. and the spirit is willing and wants to know god and follow him and that's who we're meant to be but the flesh holds us back and we still sin we have these natures in us that compete well that's exactly what john is saying here is no one who is born of god sins well okay the the spirit of god inside of us the life that we have because god is life so we're alive because of him that part that it doesn't sin we don't sin but we're more than just that right and so when we you know and uh we can act as we're born of god and we can be and the holy spirit comes into us and we can behave like we're born of god but that's not a permanent state for us yet mm-hmm. and we you know again that's kind of elementary christianity right we kind of understand that so there's times when you know you know i uh i don't want to get into calvinism here but i don't believe in what is the what is the pillar about how everything we do is wrong or whatever total depravity yeah total depravity i disagree with that now we can have your calvinist out there we can have a debate about this that'd be great you know <laughs> we'll talk uh, we'll just see. remember your grandpa was a five point yes but my dad isn't <laughs> <laughs> that did not trickle down, apparently. I was going to say, but my dad's not. So, uh. But see, what's interesting is is that there's just more fallacies. There's, there's no desire to understand no. what is really being said. There's no grace or, or even scholarship to attempt to understand. These people wrote 2,000 years ago. What is John actually saying? Mm-hmm. If you read the passage, he talks about no one who's following Jesus or loved Jesus sins continually. It's kind of like, you yeah. know, what he's basically saying is this. No man who loves his wife looks at other women mm-hmm. but if he does he says he's sorry yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that you see what i'm saying it's like yeah. you're, you're a man you love your wife and you see another woman and i mean 99.9 percent of the time you, you know you're not looking at other women you know mm-hmm. but on occasion this woman walks by and you go wow that's a beautiful woman you know mm-hmm. maybe she reflects your wife i don't know but you go you you go and you go well i'm not going to go down that path yeah <laughs> right and and so i think that's really significant is that that's what he's talking about he's talking about normal mm-hmm. life like you said our, we make commitments. We live for these commitments. Mm-hmm. They are our primary goal, but we're not perfect, yeah. right? And so we're just restored. Mm-hmm. And so, but if we we can't live incongruently is what John is saying. Yeah. You can't say, I love God and I want to be in a relationship with him, but I want to, you know, do all this stuff continually over here. That's the same thing as a guy saying, hey, I, I want to be married to you and I love you, but I still want to date and sleep with other women all the time. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. That's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. Yeah. So. so I have absolutely loved this to the point where I feel like we almost should do this again at some point because I think <laughs> okay. this is really fun. But um, I think ultimately what this proves is the point of the Salty Pasture podcast and what 
any mm-hmm. good Christian who really wants to deepen their faith should do. And that is you need to go into these things and really wrestle with them and fight them and and look at them clearly this is not a thing where you are encouraged at least here at foothills to not look at the man behind Mm -hmm. the curtain Mm -hmm. and just blindly believe anything that is espoused from either side you need to be working through your faith yourself you need to be going and doing the research you need to be going and looking at these arguments and going hey that sounds like a good argument is what, there anything wrong with it? Yeah. Something, well, yeah. and, and that's why I mentioned Bible Hub. I think it's. I think for different people, it's going to be a different amount. I know that with my dad and a little bit with me, we we enjoy researching this stuff and reading a lot. So we you know look at all these contradictions and we dive into them a little bit more than other people. But I think that every single one of us should, and that's why mm-hmm. I mentioned Bible Hub because I think that's a great place to go. Because again, Christianity has been around for 2000 years and there have been smart people who were Christians and looked at these same contradictions. I'm using air quotes if you're just listening and been like, what does this mean? What is this argument? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, the first apology was written by Justin Martyr around what, 140 AD? Yeah. So uh, we have almost uh, 1900 years. He put uh, the martyr in martyrdom. (laughs) We have almost 1900 years of apologetics. And so, and again, you know, you don't have to go get a PhD in this. It doesn't have to be, you know, the biggest focus of your faith, but it is healthy to have a piece of this. And if you hear hear a contradiction that, that worries you, or you hear a claim about how Jesus, you know, and Christianity is false, and that concerns you and makes you concerned about your faith, you go and you study it and you can use Bible Hub and the internet resources. You can come talk to people at the church and, you know, and talk about people, talk with people in your small group that you know. There's so many different ways to, to look at this and observe. And then, as Jesse says, do it yourself. And that's what's so important is a uh, when you come across a glitch or a problem, it's an opportunity to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And yes. It's, it's not the absence of doubt that makes the faith strong. It's the presence of doubts that you work through mm, that yeah. make you strong. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today here um, on the Salty Pastor Podcast. And our audience, I'm sure, will have a lot to ruminate on after <laughs> yes. those debates. And we'll have to maybe bring this back uh, a couple times a year and just really hash out some ideas and some yeah. stuff because I think that helps us all grow. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Please make sure you tune in on Sunday to listen to Zach talk more about contradictions mm-hmm. um, as he preaches. And thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you then here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.